Welcome to the Inside Startup Investing Podcast, powered by King's Crowd. As always, I'm your host, Chris Lestrino. From discussions with founders and VCs to industry experts and special guests, we want to provide you with the inside scoop on all things startup investing. Whether you're investing $50 a deal or $500,000 a deal, we have the stories you need to hear before clicking invest. From the metaverse to spaceflight and beyond, join us as we explore the world of startup investing for all. And now, onto this week's episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's episode of the King's Crowd Startup Investing Podcast. I am very excited to be joined here today by Leon from Start Engine. Leon is the Vice President of Assets. And today we're going to be having a little bit of a different conversation. Instead of talking about startups that we talk about all of the time, we're actually going to be talking about a different asset class. And that asset class is collectibles. You may have seen in the past many months, there are new platforms popping up, seems like almost every other week, that are enabling you to invest into and own pieces of really expensive collectible assets like a Honus Wagner baseball card or really expensive wine. All of these really cool things are now becoming accessible to the everyday investor. I know I am a huge fan of these assets, and it's a lot of fun to get involved in this market. And frankly, it's been paying off recently. Um, so recently, Start Engine Collectibles kind of ramped up, and they have some really interesting assets on the platform. So we're going to get into it. Leon, thank you so much for joining us here today. Thanks so much for having me, Chris. Absolutely. So Leon, before we get into it, we'd love to hear a little bit about your background and how you came to be the VP of Assets at Start Engine. Sure. Well, um, I'm, I'm very fortunate to have grown up in the, in the art world um, with a family who is, is very involved in, in the art world. Um, both my parents had galleries growing up as a kid. Um, I have three siblings. All three of them work in the art world as well. So I've kind of been entrenched in that um, since since I've, I was young. Um, and most recently, I worked at Heritage Auctions for about seven years. Um, for those who don't know, Heritage Auctions is the third largest auction house in the world, um, number one collectibles auction house in the world. So um, over those seven years, I was very fortunate being able to be exposed to all of the different categories that Heritage sells, which is over over 40 at this point, which is, is kind of wild to think about. Um, so aside from my background in art, um, learned a lot about comic books, sports cards, um, American, you know, Americana memorabilia, things like that. Um, and happy to have been able to brought a lot of that information and knowledge over to, uh, to Start Engine for what I think is a really exciting new world for, for both finance and for investing in collectibles. For those that don't know, let's hop in and talk a little bit about what it means uh, to invest in fractional ownership of these, you know, unique collectible assets. Sure. Well, you know, pro- probably my biggest frustration growing up, and especially when I was like in my 20s, speaking to a lot of my friends um, who would meet me and say, oh, you're in the art world or an art dealer. That's so weird. I've never heard of that before. Um, and then further on would say, oh, well, that's not something I can do. You know, that would always be like the most frustrating sentence for me to hear because I, you know, it would just pain me that, that people would shut out the art world and they'd shut out art, artwork in general because they felt like it was inaccessible to them. Um, and, you know, 
the feedback that I would consistently get from them is and when I'd ask is why do you find it inaccessible is they'd name this like laundry list of things um, that would stop them from being able to, to get into the world, which would be, you know, simple logistical things like I don't know how to ship it. I don't know how to store it. I don't know how to insure it to, you know, more kind of, um, you know, bigger problems like I don't have the knowledge base or there's a huge capital outlay or it's very liquid. And some of those things are true. And, you know, that's part of why I thought that, you know, the, 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 the things that we're doing at Start Engine make so much sense because we're really kind of getting rid of a lot of those issues. I can't say we're getting rid of them entirely, um, but we're, we're, we're really streamlining it in a way that makes it super accessible to a collector um, or to an investor rather. Um, but my, my goal and my hope is that by doing what we're doing, we actually turn these investors into collectors. Like this might become your first foray into, oh, I'm interested in watches. I've always appreciated watches. I've never known where to get started. Um, and then maybe you buy a fractional ownership. Um, you know, you, you buy some shares in a watch. That leads you to kind of learn more about the market. And then, then in turn, you start doing a little more research. You get more comfortable with the idea. You start to see that, you know, maybe it is a viable investment. Um, it is a viable alternative to your kind of traditional stocks and bonds. And then you do take the jump into like buying your own, you know, your own watch and being able to store that and so on and so forth. So, you know, my hope is that be this becomes a part of the bigger you know, picture, it becomes a bigger part of the pie and that in the future, people are able to say, um, you know, I have 20% in stocks, 10% in bonds, you know, 10% in startups, and then 5% in wine and 3% in watches, you know? No, absolutely. And, you know, growing up, I was a, a huge baseball and Yankee fan and all of these things. And I was pretty good at, you know, either collecting literally by going to the field and like trying to run down and, you know, get them yeah. to sign your baseball to, going to events to just buying them, you know, or, or asking for them as gifts. And, you know, but the range that I could like afford growing up, right. I mean, I didn't really have any money, but somewhere between like 50 and $200 based on the birthday. Right. Sure. Um, so that was kind of like my limitation on what I could invest in. And some of those now, you know, as some of those people go on to the hall of fame and whatnot are worth five, six, $700. So it's been a great investment really? but on a small, you know, small number. What yeah. I love about this space as well is that, you could get into some of these really unique pieces that are worth $10,000, $50,000, $500,000 that would simply be completely and utterly inaccessible to me unless I could own just a fractional share of that overall asset. Um, yeah. So that's something that excites me about it. Yeah, I mean, it, it is very exciting. And, you know, we uh, up until now, we... Um, we did have like certain minimums, I'd say, on a lot of our assets, and we were using uh, a different kind of system in order to launch the collectibles. And we've recently been able to kind of streamline that down even further. So we're going to be launching collectibles onto the platform this week, actually, um, uh, that are going to have significantly lower um, entry levels. And so uh, even right now, you could go onto Start Engine and you could invest in Champagne for as low as $10. And that's like, for me, that's really the beauty of this. It's like, there is no more barrier. And, and I think at something that low, um, or I shouldn't say there is no more barrier, but you know, for me that, that reduces the barrier significantly, obviously. But you know, when you're able to make an investment at that level, um, I think it really does truly open the marketplace to everyone. Let's talk about, you know, what upside looks like in these types of investments. I talked to a lot of people and they simply don't understand it. They're like, how am I supposed to value these assets? You know, like a comic book worth 
$25,000. What does that mean? How do I get upside? Sure. We'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Um, well, I mean, I'm going to speak in a more general sense now. And, and of course, like in a more of an opinion sense now, because that these, this is basically my opinion, having been in this market for, you know, 20 some odd years now, if not longer, but there's so there's several different uh, variables to take into account. Um, so th the first one I'd say is really understanding, I think, the what we call the zeitgeist or the culture of the moment. Um, so if you look at the, the history of collectibles over time, um, you know, back in the day, stamps were like the golden seal of collectibles. Um, that is because that, there was a generation that collected stamps, they love stamps. And unfortunately, that generation slowly died out. Um, the generation after them really enjoyed coins. Um, and that generation is slowly starting to die out as well. So, you know, what I'm always looking at is what a collectible class is of interest to people who are, let's say, in their 30s. So, Chris, I'm, I'm assuming you and I are about the same age. And so I think back to, like, what did I have a, an affinity for when I was young? Um, for me, that is the era of Michael Jordan. And mm -hmm. so, you know, one of the first collectibles that we got up onto Start Engine was the Jordan rookie card, the kind of infamous tongue out mid dunk that image that you've probably seen thousands of times over right that for me is the symbol of you know of the moment so you know for for me that is something that i think will continue to have value as our kind of generation continues to accumulate you know wealth over time so there's there's that aspect um you know the second aspect is i think you know the most people recognize this but for the most part assets have a very interesting or collectibles rather, they have a very interesting um, supply-demand curve where supply in theory goes down. Um, for example, there are no more of that Jordan card being printed. That card was printed in 1986, yep. 1987. It is no longer being printed. Um, that card is slowly being bought up by institutions, museums. It's going into private collections where they will never see the light of day. But in theory, because our generation now has a little bit more disposable income, the demand is going up. So you have kind of like two invert in, you know, inversive curves that you don't normally get to see in other marketplaces. Um, hmm. So that's another kind of component to take into play. Um, the, the other one I would say is, is um, you know, the fact that we do have to take into account inflation, right? So um, especially right now, we're speaking at a time where inflation is at an all-time high, I think, or pretty close to an all-time high. Uh, I think in February, they said it was something like seven and a half percent. 80% of the U.S. dollars printed were printed in the last two years, something like that. Um, so if you think about it, that means the dollar you were holding two years ago is now worth 20 cents. Even though we haven't kind of caught up to that, um, I think that we are certainly going to get to a place where we're going to see a little bit more inflation. And I've always said like a Picasso is always a Picasso is always a Picasso. It's always going to have value to someone. It's always going to have cultural value. It's going to have cultural relevance. Um, it'll, it'll always be something that can be even traded internationally. So even if this currency goes down, it'll always be worth a lot in, you know, in another currency, you know, so that's, um, you know, that's something that I always take into account and that I always think about when it comes to, you know, collectibles going up in value. Um, you know, and I think the last thing is that if you just look over time, you know, you look at what our past experience has been, collectibles have just over time have always, if not 
you know, held their own um, and been a phenomenal investment, they've at least been a good store of value. Um, and, mm. you know, there's there's really, you know, there's a lot of uh, metrics around that and a lot of things that you could look at. But, you know, for almost every major collectible class, there is a report. Um, for example, in sports, it's called the PWCC 500. Um, in the art world, there's the UBS art report. And, you know, these kind of track and monitor the, you know, these markets over time. And, and for the most part, you know, if you're looking, again, if you're looking at it as part of your overall investment portfolio, you know, strategy, I wouldn't say collectibles should be a hundred percent of your portfolio, but it should certainly have a part just like anything else. When you look at this asset class in terms of kind of, you know, it's always good to have diversification, right. And, and things that aren't correlated to, to other things. So obviously startups are very risky. I have, you know, pretty good feeling that, you know, in a downturn, right. Startups, a bunch of them at least are going to take a hit. The ones that aren't kind of well-founded and have good funding and what have you, when you look at this asset class, the collectibles asset class in general, how has it held up in past market downturns? Let's call it the latest one, you know, in 08. How, how do these things hold up in periods of distress? Um, that's a great question. And, uh, you know, it's um, there, there's, of course, a few different answers. And I think it'll depend on who you speak to. I think what we see for the most part, uh, at least speaking spe specifically about the art world, because that's where I was in the downturn of 08, um, Funny enough, the, the day of the downturn in 08, the day the stock market crashed, there was a, an auction at Sotheby's in London that had set pretty much every major world record for Damien Hirst. Uh, it was a, a, a single owner sale of just his works. Um, and, and so it's kind of a... It, it does go to show that I think people, when they see a market downturn, they are looking for alternative asset class. If you look at the last 24 months in the collectibles field, almost every collectible has gone up substantially. Um, if we... Um, are, are actually at Start Engine just starting to look at watches, and we're going to be launching some watches on the platform soon. And I can tell you that having researched the watch market all over the last six months, I mean, my head spins because watch some watches have gone up literally double in the last six months, and it, and it's just kind of wild to see. Um, so with that said, I think for downturns, people do take a lot of um, I think a lot of solace in alternative assets. It's something they can hold. It's something they can feel. Um, I think people recognize the fact that, you know, right now holding U.S. dollars, you're probably losing money if you're just holding cash in a bank account. Um, and so traditionally, um, it has, you know, alternative assets have gone up in value. But with that said, I think there's been that flight to quality where people are not looking for the kind of the penny stocks of the collectibles areas, they're looking for the blue chip because that's where they feel the value is going to remain. And that's what they think is going to remain important. And for the most part, they're right. You know, like, a, you know, as I said, a Picasso will always be a Picasso, but maybe that new young artist who just made a painting a couple of weeks ago in their studio, that might not, you know, hold over time. And maybe that's something you buy, you know, in a time when market's booming and you have a lot of extra cash and you're very flush and you're kind of maybe taking a bit riskier investments and saying, maybe this guy will turn out to be the next, you know, great artist or so. But, um, you know, and I think that that does go across to all collectibles classes. I mean, the watches that have gone up the most significantly are the name brands like Rolex. Um, if you look in the sports card fields, the things that are going up are the Honus Wagner, the, you know, the Mickey Mantle, the Bowman Mantle rookie card, or, you know, the, the kind of what I like to call the Mount Rushmore of each collectible area. If you're going to only buy four, what are the four best things you can buy? Um, and so I, I try to think of that for specifically for start engine um even when we're looking at things like comic books um you know and I, I do think that those are the things that always hold out um and do end up going up in value for in a downturn 
it's so interesting. I mean, I have to imagine, you know, the, the buyers on these types of collectibles and assets, because the prices are typically so high, you know, I would say north of 10K easily can be north of 50 to 100 plus thousand dollars and, you know, northward from there, that in a downturn, in challenging situations, these tend to be buyers who aren't suddenly destitute. <laughs> they could continue to buy and invest in these types of things. So I imagine that helps kind of prop up and keep the value of these assets in a pretty good place. Absolutely. And I think what we'll see over time is that this, what we're doing at Start Engine, will in turn actually become the new um, the new gold standard in a way, because we are in turn opening the marketplace up to such a large number of people. And even though we're not doing this yet, you know, I think that will in turn in the future actually greatly affect the marketplace because mm -hmm. by allowing the crowd to invest, we can in turn, in, um, you know, take in more and we can, you know, as a result, we can prop up prices, not, um, not, uh, really in a uh, artificial way, but in like a genuine way, really start to become a big buyer in the marketplace because we're giving access to all these people that never had it. Right. So it's the, it's the same right. thing as like the Robin hood model. Well, it's a market dynamics, right? Yeah. You, you're, you're literally letting the market set the level of interest in this asset class. Yeah. What are some of the key metrics that you're looking for when assessing uh, potential assets to put onto the start engine platform? Um, that's a great question. We're looking at a few things. Uh, right now, the, the kind of the, the most important aspects are that it be a name brand, something very blue chip, something that everyone recognizes, as I mentioned, like kind of the Mount Rushmore of, um, of that kind of collectible area. Um, we're also looking for things that, that are easily tradable. So things that, that trade on a regular basis. So for example, one of the areas I would like to move in into the future would be memorabilia. But memorabilia is complicated because it's typically like one of a it's it's usually a unique object right so mm -hmm. it's a game worn jersey but it was just that game so you can't really compare it to another game worn jersey because maybe that game wasn't as important as this one um you know for example we were also looking at some americana so when you're looking at americana you know a, a flag that was hoisted up during such and such war that's incredibly unique. It's subjective. You know, one person's going to place a different value on that than another. Um, part of the, the beauty of most collectible areas is that, um, you know, a, uh, we, we just listed a Superman number one on our platform. There's only 165 graded copies of it, but the grade that we purchased it in, there are only a certain finite number of that grade. And, you know, when another one sells, it's exactly comparable to the one that we have. So there's really not as there's no speculation involved there nearly interchangeable i'd say like yes it's a different comic book but by using the grading system for sports cards comics and so on they're they're nearly the same um and so that's that's kind of what i always hearken back to um, and that way we can really show investors i think a very clear graph of you know how things have gone up in value over the past and how we believe they'll go up in value in the future now of course it's you know, there's a, a, a big element, I should mention this in relation to all investments on Start Engine, but there's obviously an element of risk. You know, uh, investments are speculative and there's no guarantee that things will go up. It is possible to lose your money. But with that said, you know, uh, no one has a crystal ball. Um, but, you know, there, we can only look at the past and we can look at the future going forward. In terms of, uh, you know, assessing value, it sounds as though one of the best areas for that is simply looking at like market comps and past sales of that asset. Is that the key way in which you kind of derive the value of the asset? Um, yes, it is. Um, I do think that, you know, 
that is by far and away the best way to, to determine value, but it does need to be taken with a grain of salt. So for example, I am in, you know, come from the art world and, you know, in the art world, there are prints that sell for, you know, tens of thousands, if not millions of dollars. Right. Um, so the first actual major asset we put up on start engine was an Andy Warhol, Marilyn Monroe print. So Marilyn Monroe being the best known image by Andy Warhol, probably, probably in my, at least in my opinion, the most important artist of the 20th century, along with Picasso. Um, and he made 200, 250 of those prints, um, uh, along with 26 artist proofs, so 276. And they, they trade on a very regular basis. And so are they interchangeable? Somewhat. You have to also take a look at condition. Um, that's a really important aspect to take into account. So, you know, sometimes I'll look at a, at a work and I'll put it under a black light and it'll look literally look like a piece of Swiss cheese where there's, you know, huge holes that have been repaired and things that have been colored back in. And so that's not going to be comparable to one that's pristine and in perfect condition. Um, so, you know, the, it, it is looking at comps. Um, and then, you know, the other big component is I think that we're really fortunate at Start Engine that we have a really great network of consultants that work with us and work for us. And we really have an ear to the ground and we really know what's going on in the different collectible spaces. Um, you know, an example is one of our consultants had kind of um, given us, um, you know, um, uh, not necessarily a tip off, but it said, listen, I, I think we should buy this kind of asset because it looks like the values are going up for that asset. And, you know, we were able to acquire something and then lo and behold, the values did go up. And, and mm -hmm. you know, we had that, for example, with the Superman one that we currently have on the platform, um, you know, we purchased the, 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 the comic book two weeks later, there happened to have been an auction for a very similar comic book. Um, it nearly doubled in value, at least in my opinion, it's impossible to know cause it's not the same book, but in my opinion, it doubled in value. So, um, that's something really nice that I think we are able to do and something we're able to pass along and pass through to our investors. What are the opportunities in this market for exits? How do people end up making money? That's, uh, I think that's probably the most frequently asked question on, on <laughs> the collectibles. Um, it's, you know, the collectibles investments are like any other investment, you know, so you can make um, money, I'd say in two different ways. Um, the first one is uh, on a, what I think you'd call up in the startup world on a potential exit which would mean that we, we sell the object. Um, so start engine aside from offering a lot of the, um, the, uh, benefits that I mentioned earlier, which are, you know, shipping storage insurance for market value appraisal, yearly appraisal. Um, you know, one of the things that we also do is we would help, uh, when the time is right, we would help source, um, you know, a buyer for the, for the asset. Um, and we'd conduct all of the, you know, the things around the, the terms of that sale, making sure that it's done properly. Um, and so, um, one way to potentially make money would be on the, for the sale of the object, you know, again, there's no guarantee that there would be a, a profit involved, but, um, in theory, you know, we would take the object, sell it on, on, uh, the behalf of all the shareholders. And, and so you would benefit from that just like this sale of a stock, you know? Um, and, um, I, I should mention that on that, uh, you know, start engine does of course take different fees along the way. Um, when we do sell the object, we take, um, 20% of the upside, but we leave, you know, 80% goes to the investors. So that, that is for me, um, probably one of the most effective and efficient ways of, <clears throat> of making a profit. Um, the second one is one that, um, 
we are also very excited about, uh, which is our secondary platform. So basically, um, you could buy uh, shares in, in a collectible. We could, uh, and then it, there's no guarantee that a secondary market would, would develop. And there are a lot of um, kind of, uh, you know, hurdles we have to go through in terms of making sure that we can list um, collectibles on the secondary platform. But assuming, assuming we pass those hurdle, hurdles and assuming the secondary market does develop, then you could, in theory, sell your shares on our secondary platform. So, uh, um, and, and my hope is that that will be guided by the marketplace. So, for example, if a, a Jordan rookie card sells for um, you know a new record price, people will start asking more for their shares um, if they decide to list them on the secondary platform, and then you know as a result, people will buy them for more because they believe that you know the, the value of the underlying asset has gone up. Um, you know, but again, that's not something I can guarantee will develop, but that I, I, I certainly hope will. And in terms of, you know, the decision point at which you say, you know what, now's the right time to sell. Is it because a buyer approaches you, you know, for the wholesale of the asset, or is it because you're seeing comps go so high, you say, you know what, return on investment here makes a lot of sense. Let's do it. Yeah, um, both. Uh, I, you know, I, we have an ear to the ground. Again, and our consultants, are, our consultant network is is vast and very well, you know, and, and really experts in their field. So um, that's certainly a component. I will mention that people can make offers on any asset on Start Engine at any time. So we, you know, we we're not limiting the process in any way. We've actually have already had people who have approached us for for uh, some assets, and and so we've already actually already had those conversations. To my shock, I never thought we would have those conversations so early in the process. Um, you know, my my thought had always been a bit of a longer investment horizon, um, something like five to seven years. But we're already seeing that people have interest in things that we acquired just a couple months ago. Um, you know, for example, the champagnes that we have listed up on our platform right now that I believe are almost all sold out. But we just put them up a week ago. Many of those champagnes have actually already gone up in value in between the time when we purchased them and when we listed them up on Start Engine. Um, hmm. and, and, you know, uh, that's kind of been interesting to see. So, yeah, people can... Um, place offers in at any time. Uh, we will then, you know, if, if the if the offer qualifies or what we consider qualifies, um, you know, then we will present it to shareholders. Shareholders will be able to take a vote on on whether or not to sell that object, um, and then we will take that into account with the shareholder vote and also looking at other market metrics, looking at other things going on in the marketplace our consultants and so on. Um, so that is one aspect. And then the other one is, you know, the one that you just mentioned, which might be, okay, we've hit our investment horizon or we've hit a place where we think the market is very strong. We want to proactively go out and sell as opposed to, have, uh, as opposed to having someone approach us. Um, and if we're proactively going out and selling, then there are a number of different ways that we could sell. Um, one would be, for example, by listing an object up at auction. And so our shareholders would be notified of that process. We take into account their votes on that. Um, or alternatively, we could try to place things privately, um, you know, through our private, um, you know, uh, channel or network rather of, of, uh, of people that we work with on a fairly regular basis. So they're like, you know, every collectible class has got a, uh, you know, a different and very interesting marketplace. And so I'd say it will vary from, from collectible to collectible, of course. If folks are interested in, you know, getting started, making their first collectible investment, what's the best place to kind of get started? What's the first step they should be taking? Um, sure. So, um, uh, it's interesting that you bring that up, uh, right now on start engine, there are a number of different, um, collectible categories you can look at. So that would start with wine, art, 
um, comic book sports cards and um, actually this week watches. Um, and so those are the five kind of collectible categories. We will be rolling out some new collectible categories. So I would always tell, encourage people to, and this is just my opinion, but to start out with what you love. Um, so if you're interested in watches, then start with watches. If you're interested in art, then start with art. I, I have met a number of investors already who have told me that they just, they buy shares across the board. Like, you know, I, I had lunch with, with someone who was like, I'll take a you know a thousand dollar flyer on this and on that and on this and on that you know just because they find it to be fun and they're like I don't know anything about this asset class but I'm gonna just try it and see what happens. Um, I will say that you know soon I I am hoping that we'll be able to come out with a with a product at Start Engine that will kind of alleviate that process a little bit and not force people to have to do as much research or to have to make as many decisions, but to be able to, rather than investing in a specific object, be able to make an investment that's a little bit more holistic. Um, and I'll, I'll kind of leave it at that until I can, I can share more details, but you know, that, that is something that we're also actively working on because we have gotten some of that feedback already where it's like, you know, we've, I think right now we've probably listed at least 20 wines on the platform. And so, you know, we are asking our investors to choose between this wine, that wine, this wine, or that wine. And, you know, for some people, they're, as a result, doing a lot more research than I think they'd like to. Um, but, you know, my general, um, you know, uh, kind of uh, advice would be, like I tell people also when they're buying art for their home, buy what you love, you know, buy, buy, what, buy what interests you most. The last question for you here today, and really interesting insights. So thank you for your time. Um, favorite, you know, collectible asset that you've invested in yourself? Ooh, that is a great question. Thank you for that. Um, and thank you again for, for having me on and for uh, this really interesting conversation. So um, I will say that because I've been in the art world for so long, I, I obviously have a lot of art in my home. But my biggest issue is that because I know the value of the art and I track the, the market so much, every time something hits like a certain level, I'm always inclined to sell it because I'm like, okay, I know that it's worth X now and so I'm going to make my money and move on. Um, and recently, uh, a family friend got me into collecting ceramics, which is something I would have <laughs> never thought of collecting. And I started buying these ceramics and they're relatively inexpensive and I've fallen in love with them. But the best thing is because I don't know the market and I don't track the market for them, I've never sold any of them. Um, and so now I have this huge ceramics collection at my house, which has just been a whole lot of fun in, in being able to buy. And so, um, you know, some of the some of the better ceramics there have gone up in value. But again, I, I don't even know where to sell them, so I won't. Uh, and I, and, I'm, enjoying, and I'm, I'm enjoying holding on to them as a result. Well, Leon, thank you so much for your time today. It's been an absolute pleasure. For those who are interested, you could check out Start Engine Collectibles on startengine.com. Uh, and I, I hope you've enjoyed this conversation. Have a wonderful day, everyone. Thanks, Chris. Take care. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Inside Startup Investing. Before you go, if you enjoyed the show, please give us a like or a positive review on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And be sure to like and share our latest episodes. And if you like what you heard and want to learn more about how we can help you manage your startup investing search, diligence, and management at King's Crowd, check us out at kingscrowd.com. Thanks, and until next time, happy investing.